Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thome, Marketing Director of 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. Excited to share an interview with Samantha Jones. She's a VP of Revenue over at Rocket Shipping. Samantha's using LinkedIn really well. She does also video sales where instead of doing cold calls, she's sending uh, videos to her prospects. She mentioned some statistic that something like maybe around 10% of people actually do video sales. And then the supply chain, it's probably even less, something like three or 4%. And she's had a lot of success actually booking meetings through that way through a, a tool called Vidyard. So anyways, hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Samantha, thanks for coming on 3PL Live. I'm excited to talk to you because I don't get to talk to a lot of folks in the supply chain that are doing a lot of video marketing, that sort of branding. So how did you get into this different form of, of marketing? And I'm just curious. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. Good to talk to you as always. And I would say that really transitioning period for me was when we went to working remote during COVID. You could no longer rely on that in-person feel and actually being able to like introduce yourself, shake a hand, let people see your real personality. I love to say just be authentic in business, but it's really hard to pass through authenticity in an email or a voicemail. You could try, but it's never the same as like seeing that person, hearing that person talk to you. And so I started exploring video content, like video selling with my marketing team. I have a friend over there and we started testing this idea of um, sending videos to connect with people. I think it's really interesting because I don't know, I don't follow a ton of people in supply chain, but it doesn't seem, it seems like there's only maybe like a handful of people actually doing this, like yourself, maybe like Matt Luffler, the guy that does that armchair attorney thing and obviously Dooner and those guys. It's just interesting that not a lot of people are taking advantage of this. And it's really weird too, because going back to your point, it's like, how do you really connect with people when it's like virtually? Because it seems like before was the business you'd go there to meet the people and then take them them out to lunch. Was that kind of what you guys would do before? So yeah, a couple of things. So I was in outside sales. And so outside sales at the time, literally was knocking on doors. You would have your planned meetings, but then if you drove by a place and you're like, oh, look at that. And you stop and you go and you know, you talk to the receptionist and try to get in there. So it was a lot of in-person. That's really primarily what we did. Of course, you know, we would try to like call people. This was even before like tools like Zoom Info and stuff were big. So it was like even hard just to get like the right numbers. You're talking to a lot of receptionists. So uh, in-person was kind of the go-to then. And so then we transitioned to this video selling and you call this out. Now it's been a while since I heard these numbers, hopefully they've changed. But when I heard them, it was like less than 9% of sellers in general, in any industry are using video sales. And I would think it's very safe to say like in supply chain sales, I bet it's like less than 4% that are actually trying to use the video. And so it's very unique and it's a very easy like differentiator. And I think it's going to continue over the years to catch on and more and more people will adopt it. But I kind of feel like getting in on this early stage of adoption with video sales, I literally had people tell me like, I've never seen a video before. This is so cool. Praise you for the fact that you tried something different. So the early adopters are going to reap the most rewards for sure, I think. Well, it's really weird because if you think about just cold calling in general, and I'm not against cold calling. I don't don't have like one way or the other on it to be, I'm not like a cold call hater or lover. I will say though, I've done my fair share of cold calls and what you call like 60 people and maybe two people answer the phone and then the rest of it's voicemail. So I just don't understand how people think that that's ever going to be effective in like some sort of scalability. It seems like you're not really doing anything to stand out and you're only kind of using techniques that have not really changed for decades. So that's the part that's really weird. 
I've seen some people, Michael, uh, Michael, I think Neem is how he says his last name. The real is rare. I love his tagline, but he does a lot of those videos on LinkedIn. He posts videos of his cold calls that he records. Mm. And so like for some people, it works for them. And some people like to cold call. They, you know, I will agree with you that I think your sales, a sales tactic is entirely subjective because what works for one person does not work for everybody. Literally just like whatever happens to be the best fit for you. And so for me, that's video. Once I started doing video, I stopped picking up the phone. It's hit or miss. You have good days. You have bad days. Last week I sent four videos and I booked four meetings. Wow. I feel pretty good about that. Not every day that you have hundred percent success rate with any mode, the fact that that worked, it's like, had I picked up the phone, I probably would have gotten three, if not four voicemails and been at the mercy of them calling me back. I think voicemails are dead, by the way. I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're going to make a comeback because I know people now like, I have a couple customers who, if I leave them a voicemail, it transcribes it in an email and puts it in their inbox. So they can like mm. read my voicemail and they're the ones who actually call me back. <laughs> but anybody <laughs> doesn't usually call you back from a voicemail because I don't think a lot of people listen to them. A hundred percent. I mean, the only things that I would, when I was doing sales, the only thing that I would use voicemail for was when I was practicing my pitch because I needed to like get my words down and I was just yeah. using it to practice. And the only other way I would do it is if it was like a pre-recorded message and I was using a tool that I could just drop it without saying anything. So I I wasn't really doing anything. I was just clicking a button and then going in there. But I agree with you. I don't think that voicemails are, there might be a couple of times where people might call you back from a voicemail, but it's probably very rare. I do want to ask you though, like when you're doing like the topic of the video, like how much, like the four for four thing that you just mentioned a second ago, was there research that was done before or they each person getting the same exact framework pitch? Yeah. So I, in my current role, I have an interesting kind of mix. So I do prospecting and I do send a lot of stuff asking for initial meetings. I also, you know, just try to broaden my reach within a company. So if I'm, you know, working with the director of transportation, I'd really love to know the director of purchasing or, you know, the head of supply chain or whoever that is, just to get a better understanding of my customers and what they're doing. So make sure I really have that well-rounded picture. And so what I'll do is I'll, I make a very specific video. And that's what I think a lot of my success is attributed to is I do put thought into it. Vidyard is what I use. You have the ability to actually like record with the company's like website in the background or their that person's LinkedIn page in the background. So when they see the video, they're like, this is clearly specific to me. And then I title it, you know, with their name in the title that they can see when they click on it. But yeah, it's it's usually more like make it feel like a warm reach out rather than like a cold, like a cold, I guess you could call it a cold video, a warm video, right? Like, sure. hey, I already do this. And this is how I, you know, thought to reach out to you. Or even when I'm prospecting, if it's somebody I've never talked to, I don't know any of their peers, we don't do any business. It's usually still like a screen recording of their website, their LinkedIn page. All I'm genuinely trying to do is understand what it is they're doing. So that's what I express to them, but people need to vet you and they need to understand if you are worth giving 30 minutes of their time. So I think that it is a little bit arrogant to think that somebody wants to meet with you if you're not going to give them any context or reason as to why. And that usually only comes from a little bit of research or something that you can show that you understand their industry, you understand their company, you understand something not in depth, but to enough of an extent to be able to validate your interest in speaking with them. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like maybe if you're a sales rep, the only reason I would see that they don't personalize things is if they are just scared because they're not going to get enough done. And then and then they end up in this thing where it's all me- mediocre, in essence, because they're not really doing any prep work. They're not really standing out. Putting in a little bit more work on the front end seems like it would drive a lot more results because like you're on their page 
you're showing them that you're not just like another number and you're kind of being a little bit creative with your approach, which I think is really cool. And then Vidyard, you could see like how long each person's actually watched the video for yeah. statistics on it and whatnot. And if they yeah. do watch it, do you actually bring that up or is that is that like too like big brotherish? <laughs> it depends on the situation. <laughs> I more so bring it up when I see that they don't watch it. So then it's like when I come when I come back to you over the same email, I can say like I saw that you didn't have a chance to watch my video. So I just wanted to do, you know, get this back up in your inbox or, you know, let you know if you don't have time to watch a video, you know, here's a couple sentences as to why I sent it or why I was interested. Every once in a while, if I see somebody watch like 100% of it and not respond, for me, that's like, yes, follow up. Like immediately follow up, give them a couple days. If you don't hear something, follow up. Somebody watches like 8%, <laughs> probably not somebody who's like dying to talk to you, but not saying it's not worth the follow up, but um. It, it is great. Those metrics help you gauge how to appropriately respond after you've sent that initial reach out. So yeah, because otherwise you're just a little bit flying blind. At least that way you have a little bit of data that you're working with. Like, hey, they so, watched 100% of my video. Yeah, and that's another thing. Do you get a notice if somebody listens to your voicemail, or how no. much of it they listen to? No. no. So why would you not send something that like I I tell people if I'm going to be ignored, I just want to know I'm being ignored. Then I'm okay. Don't, I don't want to wonder, like, did they see it? Did they not? Do they not want to talk to me? Do I spam them because they're just not seeing it? Which I don't do that anyway. <laughs> it's just nice to know because then you can decide if that's a good use of your time to continue or, you know, how, again, how to respond to that. Why do you think that people are reluctant to use video? Do you think that they're scared to see themselves on tape and they're worried that they're going to look like an idiot? I mean, that's the only thing that really comes to mind for like the reason for not wanting to do it. There's a little bit of like inertia that you have to get past and maybe it's like a hard gap. After you get the hang of it, it's not as bad. Absolutely. So I forget where I started from. So it's important for me to like remember that every once in a while. And there was a time when I first started doing this. And again, this was like two full years ago for me, I think now when I did video, I would set my phone up on a, I was using my phone initially. I would set it up on a tripod, start talking. And I would have like a scripted idea of what I wanted to say. And every time I messed up, I stopped and had to get up and restart it and, and do it again. I would take 20 takes to send one video. It would take me hours. I would dedicate a day to trying to record like five to 10 videos. That's because like, you're just, you're a perfectionist and you nitpick and you feel like it has to be a certain way. And it's really uncomfortable to see yourself. The first tip that I learned is to turn that camera around. Don't look at yourself because you watch yourself talk and then you start to like watch your mouth. And the next thing you know, you're tripping over your words because you're paying attention to that and not what your brain's trying to say. So that's like my number one tip for a beginner, but it's just practice. It's just getting used to anything. Cold calling is uncomfortable. Making a cold call is really uncomfortable until you do it enough to get used to it. So it's really not that different. I mean, it's writing a good email probably doesn't come naturally to a lot of people. And you got to practice. You got to figure out what you're trying to say and how you convey it. It's the same thing with video. Like it's practice makes perfect. Again, the thing I love about video is the authenticity in it. I mess up all the time and I just keep going and I laugh at myself or I correct myself or I, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, it's, it helps people know that, you know, I'm not reading off of a prompter to send you like some mass video. It's just, it's just me talking to you. That's all it is. That's an interesting part, I think, about sales and perfectionism. I feel like sometimes we get want to do something so perfect that we end up boxing ourselves in and not doing and almost blending in more in some sort of ways because we're looking, we're more homogenous because we're trying to fit into this thing that we think groups should be like or whatever a salesperson should be like. So I think that it is really interesting. I, I completely agree with that. There was one time I was actually talking to. 
Dooner when I was first starting this podcast and he's like, Hey, like I'm a little bit like nervous to like interview people, whatever. Like how do you have any advice? He's like, just hit record, keep on doing it, keep on doing the laps. And after a while, I think it just sort of becomes second nature. And to your point, I think when you do mess up and you laugh about it, you could see that it was a real video and you're like, Oh, that Samantha is super chill. She's like a nice girl and whatever. It makes you more likable when you're actually like making a mistake and being genuine and not trying to be like someone that's perfect. Admittedly, people who know me, my customers, they know this. I'm not really a very good, I'm not a seller. I'm not a salesperson. I'm like, hey, you want to talk? Cool. Let's talk about this. You know, what can you do? What can I do? Like, it's always just conversations. It's just having a conversation. And I think with the best salespeople, because that is what I am, we're really not trying to push something. We're not trying to sell something. We're just trying to be authentic. We're trying to have good conversations. I want to hear what you have to say. And I want to understand and I want to learn. Unfortunately, it's somewhat rare, I think. It just in general for a seller. And so I think that, but that ultimately is something that people like to have when they're talking to someone. Again, video lets you convey that up front, hopefully. I, you know, I, I think people get a good feel for me just through video. Take that a step farther. I do video on LinkedIn. So usually when I send my videos, I put in my email body. Like I also sent you a connection request on LinkedIn if you want to know a little bit more about who I am. Because if you go to my LinkedIn page, you're going to figure out pretty quickly, like, how do I talk? How do I carry myself? What am I passionate about? Because I have a presence there too. And so it, it helps people really feel like they're connecting with a person. And then they can, you know, look at the, what I delivered. Did she say something that interested me? Do I feel like Samantha is somebody I want to talk to? And then they can make an educated decision on if they want to give me 30 minutes of their time next week. Yeah, I did notice too that in your profile, you use that thing with the video that introduces yourself. Yeah. Which I want to yeah. do that eventually too. And I think that that's really cool that you did that. And do you recommend for people that haven't done that? Like, what should they say there? Yeah. Number one, why would you not? So Jeremy, I'm going to give you more time so you go do that. I know. I need to go do it. They started putting metrics on it and I haven't looked at it in probably like a month, but there was like over 900 views as soon as they put metrics on it. Oh, wow. People watch that. People watch that. And it's, um, I think you're capped at 30 seconds. I could, I could be wrong, but I think it is. And so in my opinion, it's just like the way I thought of it is your name, who you are, whatever you want to say, if you have time, but a call to action, like mine was, if you're on my page, send me a connection request. If you're here because you're interested in something supply chain related, we should be connected or, you know, feel free to give me a follow. You want people to come to your page for a reason. Everybody's selfishly on LinkedIn for one way, like reason or another, whether it's mm -hmm. to learn from other people or to have people come to you, put that out there. Let people know what you're about, what you want to do. You're watching this video. So connect with me. I'd love to connect with you. So that, that was kind of my thought process. Keep it brief, introduce yourself, share something about yourself to make yourself a human. <laughs> I can then ask people to connect with you or whatever your ask is. I like it because it was inclusive too. It's like, hey, if like you're on my page, you like supply chain, go ahead and connect with me. Because I feel like sometimes that inclusiveness makes it a little bit easier for someone maybe to take the step because there's less inertia there or like less, you seem friendly and outgoing. So maybe that's what it is potentially. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think about, um, do you use a lot of emails as well? Do you guys like build out like sequences or cadences or anything like that? Or do you, or is your strategy just using like video on LinkedIn and, and yeah. email? So I'll only speak for myself, quite honestly. I don't, I know that other people try different things, but um, I kind of 
do what I feel like works best for me. Sure. I don't necessarily do any cadences or anything, especially usually video is like, if I was going to have a cadence, it's always at the front because I find that it's the most effective. So sometimes I don't have to go past step one or two of a cadence. It's just, it's either just a video in a meeting or a video in a follow-up in a meeting. Or I use LinkedIn a lot. I love LinkedIn. If you don't have like Vidyard and, and your company doesn't offer it or, you know, you don't pay for it because you have to pay for it, right? Um, Vid sorry, LinkedIn actually has in messaging now, like you just click the little plus sign and it's like create a new video. It literally right there, it just lets you record it. You can watch it back and then delete it or not and then send it in the message. That's more effective to me than like an email with a vidyard. So if you're connected with somebody and they know of you on LinkedIn, maybe you even have kind of gone back and forth liking posts and you're like, hey man, I want to talk to this person more. I usually send a video like in LinkedIn and I just record myself there and send it and um, you know express that again, authentic interest in talking to that person. And that's cool for a number of reasons. I've sent that to people like not even customers or prospects just like hey I like what you're doing I'm trying to do something similar can we can we talk you know send them a video and ask to connect with people so you can also send a voice message if you're not comfortable yet with video you can record your voice and send it in a LinkedIn message kind of like when you text like send an audio message in text it's the same thing but I feel like if, again why if you're if you're trying voicemails give this a chance and at least try it in a different channel because I think LinkedIn is a little bit more personal um, definitely more chance that they're going to listen to that than they're going to listen to a voicemail. So how did you get into the power of LinkedIn as well? Cause I feel like a lot of people that are sellers that I know personally don't really use it to its full capability. And I don't know why I, I'm not sure what like the disconnect is to be completely honest. So I was just curious. I feel like mm -hmm. some people usually have some sort of like epiphany where they're like, oh, wow, that's a really powerful program. And maybe I should hop on there and, and utilize it. Yeah. So to your point, I do, I think the main thing, because I've noticed this about myself, I don't see a lot of people in a sales focused role being content creators on LinkedIn, which is what I'm trying, I'm trying to do. I create some content. I'm working on it. Primary reason for that is that we have a very demanding job. I go like in what I do, I could do 60 hour work weeks and really not have done everything I wanted to get done. So it's just, um, I think it's another thing because LinkedIn takes time. It's a time commitment, even just to be fairly passive on there. It's 15, 30 minutes of your day. So I think that's reason number one, but I think that's also pretty common for a lot of people, which is again, why I love LinkedIn, because most of the time when I send messages, send videos, send voice memos, my responses come at 8 PM or later mm. because that's, you're catching people at a time when they're available, they're in a comfortable, relaxing environment. They're willing to give you a minute of their time. They respond. I always respond right back and we'll have a full conversation at eight to 9 PM. It's on a professional site. So it's not weird. It just opens up so many different opportunities. And then, um, my epiphany, I guess <laughs> was I got, I decided, you know, I want to, I wonder if LinkedIn can help me sell. And again, this is all during like COVID, you know, trying to figure out how to be more connected. A friend of mine named Albert, he was doing what he called the 30 day LinkedIn hard mode challenge. It was like basically 30 days of original content creation for 30 days straight. You have to come up with it. You're not sharing something else somebody came up with. You know, you're not doing that. So I did that and it was really hard, but it's like forced myself to just do something. You go from posting like once every two weeks to like every single day, original content. That was hard. I didn't really get a lot of like supply chain related followers because admittedly my posts weren't supply chain related. So then I just like challenged myself again with his, he did like a harder mode and it was like the same challenge, but you had to do one video a week, which like terrified me at the time on LinkedIn. And then you also had to do five posts out of the seven every week had to be about your industry. 
And so that's like what started this for me is I was like, okay, like my industry is supply chain. I am passionate about supply chain. I don't really talk about it on LinkedIn. So I started doing that. I started doing some videos. My epiphany moment was when it just started like all of a sudden, every connection and follow request is somebody in my industry. And you start meeting people. And I started having like weekly conversations with other people like Matt Loeffler or Trey Griggs or whoever it was. Like you're meeting new people who are also doing similar things and you're growing a network. And that just becomes like addicting. And so then after that, you know, I just, I was learning so much from people. I was connecting with so many people and I just really leaned into that. And it kind of became my own thing um, in a couple of months. My moment was once I realized that there's like this whole group of people on this social space that are so passionate about what I'm passionate about. It's very beneficial to network and connect with those people. Yeah. And your videos are really good. The market updates are great. You do a really good job with them. And I know they take a lot of work. I mean, I think I I chatted with you a little bit, like each minute is probably a lot of research to get everything like in there. That's, that's actually like a good report on something. So kudos to you, because I know that that takes like a ton of work and people don't know how much work I think goes sometimes into the back end of doing these things. But I'm curious too, has there been like, I'm sure that there's been a lot of like interesting things that have happened as a result of that. Have you had like any people say, Hey, I watched that video and I wanted to chat with you or things of that nature where like you've created new, I guess, outcomes as a result of doing these things. Yeah. So this is, this is a good topic. This is a tricky one. This could probably be like a whole nother conversation, but I think trying to measure ROI for a seller, if you're looking at it that way, doing like content like this is, is, is always tricky because it's not like direct. It's like, because I made a video, this company just reached out to me and said, we want to turn over our business to you. Here you go. It, it's always more about like building relationships, getting references and referrals, like two different people. Really what I think it does is it builds my credibility. Uh, at least I hope that's what it does. Because again, like you said, when I started this and I was really like, it gets a little easier as it goes, but my first market update, I probably put 10 hours of work into. What? That's great. It was just a five minute video about you talking about some articles. What I'm doing is consuming 30 articles, trying to pick the three most important because I'm trying to keep it brief, but I'm also pulling in, you know, just knowledge that I learned from the rest and I'm trying to do this. So what I'm doing is my need that I, um, I guess you could say I, what I addressed is I said, okay, I don't have really a lot of time to do this. I made the time. I'm sure a lot of other people don't, but it doesn't mean they don't want to know this information. So if I can help make it easier and put this in a more consumable format for hundreds or thousands of people to watch without having to do 10 hours of research on their own to get there, that would be helpful, right? That's what I set out to do. And that's what I, you know, I've done with my videos Um, and just even my posts, just like trying to make sure I'm like taking a lot in and like sharing what I think is most important with people. So yeah, it's a, it's a time commitment, but the ROI is a little tricky there. But what I will say is almost every meeting I've been in since I really started doing this and it kind of got some traction is like my customers bring it up, my prospects bring it up, people I network with bring it up. I've been to a trade show since like I really started doing this a couple and people literally like said, you're Samantha Jones, right? And I didn't know who they were. So they're like, yeah, we're connected on LinkedIn. And it's like, I'm not saying I'm a celebrity. I'm not famous. I don't even have that many followers yet, but it's cool because Again, most of my following base and my connections are in supply chain. And so like when you're at a supply chain event or you're talking about supply chain things, there's a good chance that you're connected with those people and that they're aware of you. So for me, definitely there's been an ROI in, no, in my. It's huge too. Cause I know even uh, I'm friends with that girl, Cargo Margo. And I noticed that she got a new job as a, I'm sure as a result of some of this content that yeah. she's, that she's doing and 
it really does wonders for people. I've seen a lot of people that have ended up getting new gigs yeah. at different places as a result of like, so it's, it's interesting to me because my thought is if like the company, you know, is giving you a hard time and doesn't like it, then maybe they don't really understand like where the market is and or how it's going. And yeah. there's other companies out there that will understand how this stuff works. One, one guy comes to mind named Chris Walker. I don't know if you follow him, but he actually started a company with like a hundred plus employees by doing mm-hmm. all this sort of stuff like content marketing talks a lot about like dark, dark social, like this, this concept, someone taking your video and maybe like screen recording it and then sharing it on Slack. And then it's even more like not likely to get attribution or if it's just a screenshot of like a, you know, a post or whatever that happened to be like years ago where like my boss like was like screen sharing stuff and then sharing it like on Slack channels. I wasn't working for him at the time. And then he hired me as a result of that. And it was really weird because that's like when my LinkedIn moment was. And it, and it was that whole concept of dark social that I didn't even really understand was a thing. That guy, Chris Walker, talks a lot about this as well. But there's a lot of that going on in the background, I think, where it's become this thing. like It's almost like digital word of mouth. People are yeah. talking, but it's sort of like through like back channels, which yeah. is... So I think that's where that's amazing for people who want to... Okay, 100% agree. There's a, it's a hidden job market. LinkedIn is like just ripe for a hidden job market because they are being very particular and they're soliciting people without necessarily even like posting jobs out there. I don't know a recruiter who's not on LinkedIn, right? So like when you're a recruiter in let's say logistics space and you're on LinkedIn and there's only maybe 10 names that come to mind as salespeople who make videos or do good content on LinkedIn, they're probably getting recruited. So it's like, or they're they're getting reached out to. So I think two things is like, number one, if you're wanting to advance your professional career, you're wanting to change companies or just, you know, change roles, absolutely lean into LinkedIn content. And it's funny because the guy who did the um, challenge that I started this with, his name is Albert. He was a transitioning, transitioning military veteran. So like he's coming out of the military and you have a time period where you like are looking for a job, right? So he was, he's passionate about data analytics. So he started like, okay, I'm just going to get really into content creation around data analytics on LinkedIn. He like had his pick of where he wanted to be employed by the time like it came for him to really transition into the job market. So that's why he started this, I think primarily was to like help other transitioning military members to say like, if you just commit to three months, six months of building a presence on LinkedIn, you can launch yourself into a new career, like a new position, whatever it is, because people will start finding you as opposed to you finding them. And so I think that's absolutely true. I think the other thing that that does, it poses a challenge to companies, right? Because you want your people to do this and you want to push them to do this to give you a strong brand, Mm. but then you have to like be prepared for the fact that they're going to be solicited. So make sure that you're, you know, keeping your employees happy and that they have that freedom of expression there. So a hundred percent. I mean, I, one thing comes to mind, a side project that I've been working on I interviewed actually a guy recently that was, um, he created like a hundred episodes of South Park. He's like an animator and he wanted, (laughs) pretty interesting dude. And like, he owns like a branding agency and he wanted to like maybe start doing like a side project after hours of like talking about like life design, all these different topics that were, you know, like beating to your own path, just doing things differently, essentially. Like Scott Lee's comes to mind, like that sales guy, because he he's written like three books and then he smokes bong loads on, on LinkedIn and he's sponsored by Gong. So, and he did that thing at surf and sales down in, in Costa Rica where he takes people down there to go surfing. So he's just on all this stuff that doesn't make any sense because you're like, how, how did you just do that and pull that off? You know, it, it just seems like he's doing stuff that doesn't make any sense. So I, I agree with you. I think that if you're not putting yourself out there and if you're not creating these different things and putting yourself in these positions, like how are people going to find you? 
I mean, it's other other than that, it's like you're they're only going to find you within that circle of that you work in, and that's pretty much it. And then a lot of times people are quiet there as well because they want to fit in and homogenize themselves. It's really interesting, like how all this kind of stuff works, and it's fascinating to me that I mean, I think that people are catching on, but I think it's fascinating that they haven't caught on as much as they have. Yeah, I know. And like, that's exactly what I was just thinking as you were talking about that is because not a single person alive right now would deny that technology has changed the way we live. We know that technology is advancing things and changing things. And so is social media, we can all agree to that as well. So why would you think that it can't change the way you do business or the way you live or your career? Absolutely can. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's the, the, everyone pitches it for other things. Like there was one company, I've been redoing our website actually at 3PL Systems and I was uh, watching this video from HubTran, I guess Triumph Audit bought them, Triumph Pay, but they were talking about a lot of their stuff that they do to help out like the back office. They use like optical character recognition basically to read a bill of lading or like the carrier basically put it into the TMS. They look at all your documents and use machine learning to break up all the documents, the POD, so that someone doesn't have to go in there to like actually manually do it and then shoots it over to the TMS. So that a lot of this like manual work that someone had to go in and be like, oh, does this load match this? Is this dollar amount right? Da, 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 da. People use these automations all the time. Obviously, there's some people that are laggards and will never use anything. And they're, you know, using spreadsheets and relying completely just only on load boards, for example, to get like new carriers. But it's just, it's, it's interesting that like creativity, it's like different ways of doing things. And I think that using creativity and using the technology in front of you is, is going to make you just more solid. And obviously, like, as far as like a brand goes, you're going to be like more ahead of the pack. I agree. That's exactly it. You can, you can create a personal brand. You can also create a brand that ties back to the company that you're working for. You can help brand, you know, that company in a positive light while at the same time, still creating that personal brand that could really go with you anywhere. So if your goal is to stay with a company that you're at and you want to grow your brand and their brand, like pour into that. If your goal is trying to get into a new career or trying to find that, you know, a new path, then like focus on that personal brand and see where that takes you. One thing comes to mind, like LinkedIn, I think there's this perception that like people think that like their companies own their LinkedIn. And the thing is, is like your LinkedIn and your brand, like your personal brand, it's going to live on much longer than when the time period that you're probably working at that company. It's not like, you know, back in the day where you just stayed at like one company for 20 years or whatever. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think that like people need to realize that, Hey, like their company is not their, they're two separate things, like your brand and Obviously, you could do what you're saying, like make it part of it or whatever. But I also feel like people are also scared that they're going to not be on brand when they're saying something and and not realizing that you own the LinkedIn, Microsoft owns it, not your company. But I I do think that people or companies need to do a better job of saying, hey, if you do want to post on LinkedIn, don't talk about like politics or don't talk about this. Because there doesn't seem to be there's like a lot of frameworks. And maybe that is part of the hesitancy of people posting because they're worried about like getting backlash or getting fired or whatever. That's a good one. Like the politics that you just brought up, because that's like an unspoken rule in business, right? It's like, don't bring up politics like on, on LinkedIn or anything like that, which I I, I don't like personally, yeah. I stay away from that. Sure. Um, and it's like, how do we all know like where these like, this is just a given, don't do this. But then it's like, when it comes to company versus personal, I think that's a little bit more of a blurred line because, you know, at the end of the day, you are a representative for the company that you work for. So you have to keep that in mind, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be, that you have to like not be your authentic personal brand, right? So they, they can be simultaneous. Like you can, you can have both of those working together. You can represent a company without even having to say the name of the company or bring them up in conversation, but like you just being you 
is an extension of, of that. And so I don't, none of my content is like geared necessarily towards my employer, but yet it's in my profile, <laughs> you know, like it's right there. Like, it's not a question who I work for. And I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, that's probably a good thing because it'd be so weird if I was like, Samantha Jones, like unemployed <laughs> content creator. <laughs> like you don't just like wipe that out of your section for the sake of like more autonomy. Yeah. You, you lean into the strengths that your company brand offers you, but it is, it's, I think if you just focus on your, on yourself and like what you're trying to do, you naturally give your company a better brand recognition as well as, as you build your own. How do you like get out of your head if you are in your head, I guess, or like, is there something like, is there topics that you come up with ahead of time when you're writing a post and like, do you, how's your creative process work when you're actually doing it? Cause I'm sure that there's ways that you've gotten faster over time. So most of my posts, like if it's not a video, I'm just shooting from the hip. I like find something that I find super interesting and then I like save it. I do like to do that where LinkedIn has a cool feature where you can bookmark things that you find interesting. And so I use that a lot where it's like, oh, that's cool. And it's like 9 p.m. on a Wednesday and I'm not going to post it right then. So I'll, I'll save it and come back to it. But really, I think being, I'm a, I'm a student of my industry. And so every day I'm learning and reading and educating and so like over time, you just get to be, you're, you know, you're kind of like with that sponge. So I'm like taking it in all the time. And so when I want to talk about it, it's not hard to talk about something that you know a lot about or that you're passionate about, right? Like if baseball is your thing and you watch every, you know, MLB game this summer and you keep up with the stats and stuff, and then somebody asks you to like write a post on LinkedIn about baseball, like you're going to be like, well, what do I not talk about? You're going to have to, you know, you have to dumb that down. So that's how it is for me in, in logistics at this point where it's like, always taking in the information. So when I want to talk about something, it's like, okay, well, where do I start? <laughs> and just pick something and then it, it flows pretty naturally. It's hard to fake content creation. And I know that because I, I tried it. Like when I started, I told you it was forced. I was forcing myself to do it. So you saw my kid three times a week, probably, because I was like, what else do I talk about? And that was before I had really like poured into, like admittedly, I didn't used to try to understand our industry to the extent that I do today. And I am so much more effective in every conversation regarding my career because I do hard to fake content. So if you are in data analytics, if you are in supply chain, if you're in marketing and you want to talk about it on LinkedIn, you got to, you got to study it. You got to know what you're talking about. Like you got to keep up with what's going on. Yeah. I think that the studying part, like you said, it makes you more valuable in conversations and you feel like more educated, probably adding a lot more to the conversations. But I feel like maybe the only part that probably was a little bit hard to get over was maybe that initial phase of like, putting in the time and being like, Hey, is this time of good use? And clearly yeah. it is, but like, maybe like the only hesitation I could see is like, am I wasting time right now by doing this? Like that's probably I a bit totally of thought I was silly. Like after my first 30 days, I was like, that was, what did that do for me? You know, what did that really do? Like, and so then I was like, okay, I'll give this one more chance. You know, and I'm going to do it specific to my industry. So it's going to be hard to feel like it was worth it. If you don't have a clear um, goal in mind, why are you doing it? Are you actually interested? Are you actually passionate? Do you want to see a certain type of ROI come from it? Like, think about that before you jump in and then like, think about what's going to get you there. Because if you're just like, you know, watch this podcast and you're like, well, I'm going to go get on LinkedIn and you just, you know, go to try to half-ass do it, I guess is the only way I can think to put it. It's probably not going to turn out the way you want it to. So, and then you'll probably drop it, never come back to it. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like your intentions on anything are always have to be like somewhat like you have to have like a some sort of framework of what you're trying to accomplish. 
otherwise it's probably gonna not last very long for sure yeah and now like that's on the LinkedIn side just to backtrack to like the video selling you don't have to wonder if that's worth your time like that's been proven that that's worth your time I mean all of these video companies Vidyard and the others there's others they can tell you what the stats are and you have an increased chance of getting a meeting, closing a deal, whatever it is, if you're using video. So I don't know why people are still debating that or gambling that like, like, oh, it's not worth my time. I don't want to do that. That's just like a refusal to adopt, in my opinion. I think we're at the point with video selling where we can just say like, you just don't want to. It's not that it doesn't work. It's not that you actually can like legitimately question the ROI. You just are making excuses to not do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess some people get set in their ways and, you know, they've shaven the same way for 30 years or whatever, and they don't want to change. And I think that's a lot of things like uh, not change. Change is, change is hard for a lot of people for whatever reason. People hate change. I don't, you know, every time we do like a software update, people are always like really upset about, you know, the update or if your iPhone gets updated, some people are just haters about the new update for whatever reason. So I think that that's just natural. I can't speak to supply chain industry specifically like 10 years ago, I imagine it was a little bit more stable. I don't know how you can be in our industry right now and not accept change. Like it, it's not even annual. It's like daily. monthly, weekly, <laughs> daily. Like so we live in constant change and we have like, you know, depending on who you talk to, there's a lot of people who have opinions on this, but we do kind of live in like all of our, a lot of the efforts in supply chain space are trying to just mitigate risk of change when it's like, maybe we'd be better spending our time to just accept the changes going to be constant and build our systems around that change. Just the idea of an annual RFP. Why do you want to lock in rates for a whole year? Because you know, they're going to vary, you know, they're going to change, but rather than like trying to work with that and find the positives or whatever, like we had this idea of an annual RFP. Well, we have now changed enough as a global supply chain, that annual RFPs are becoming increasingly hard to pull off effectively without disruption. So that's the weird thing too, is, is that, it's supposed to be like a contracted thing and then they get rejected anyway. So to your point, it's like, what, what's the point of doing something if it doesn't work? That's what I mean. Like it's just, <laughs> it's all just, it's a very, it's a nice idea, right? Like it's all been nice ideas. And I'm not like going to hate on manual RFP and say it doesn't work because there's still some value there, but the right. basic idea of the annual RFP was created around a system to try to, to try to mitigate the risks of changes instead of working with them because it's not there's not always a, a negative risk in it you know there's there are ways ways to take advantage of the changes so you have a lot of startups and tech companies and all, all sorts of other people who have those ideas now and i think you know it'll take more time but some of those will probably come to fruition and will be tangible our industry is in a period of constant change like yeah. all the time they can be micro they can be macro but it's going to happen um and so it's the same way with how we approach it because sales i feel like is lagging and sales is still trying to approach our industry the same way we did 20 years ago when like, let's just be honest, that's not where the rest of the world is at. So mm-hmm. why would our industry be an exception? I feel like supply chain is always just like a little bit behind like the rest of the world, but then it just catches up super fast is, is how it yeah. seems to be. You seem a lot of like this really interesting tech coming out, like with like machine learning and AI. One company comes to mind, Parade.ai, like they, they make this software to help you kind of find truckload capacity through like a digital matching. But they basically take all this like disparate data from like your email inbox. They read that with optical or with um, some sort of like machine learning technology. And then they basically go to your TMS, look at all your loads, they go to the load board. So they're looking at all this data to figure out like who is the best carrier for this given lane truckload versus going onto a load board, posting it and getting, you know, 200 phone calls, all these emails 
and just like all this information that was just not so it makes sense that people are going to come in and try to fix these like inefficiencies within the market but yeah it's really interesting for um sales but i i do have a question for you too i well we're wrapping up here but like the for your personal like stack what are you recording your videos on you mentioned vidyard is there any other tools that you use or would recommend no, so I just do a Vidyard if I'm like sending it. I really like the way it looks because when I send it in an email, it shows like the preview and like the picture of my video. So it's very clean. It's very clear that I'm sending you um, a video. It's a safe professional link. So I, I like that. I like the um, metrics on it that you can track as well. When I send in LinkedIn, you don't need anything. Like you can literally just send in the message. And I've sent Vidyards before in LinkedIn messaging, but it sends a link and it in my opinion, it's a little sketchier. Like, would you click on the link? Someone message you? I don't know. It's easier to just click play on the video that's right there. So I use that there. And then I just use, I think it was an app called like CapCut. And I'm not, there's probably a million out there that do something similar, but I found that one that I'm, I'm not very good with because I'm, I need to take some more time, but I'm figuring out how to put together like my video collages and stuff that I've put like, um, you know, when I go to trade shows or something, I like to do like a wrap up and it lets you mash in like pictures with videos, with audio, with, you know, do all of that. And you can kind of play around with that and edit videos for content that I can post on LinkedIn. So those are kind of like the three different things that I'm using right now is just direct video and then um, Vidyard, then not any video photo editing apps really that let you make those video and, collages. And the camera is just from your laptop, right? Or your desktop computer? Oh yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I do use my computer for a lot. Um, I have a Microsoft Surface. That's what I'm on right now, actually. And then I also have right here behind it, I have a tripod with like a ring light. Literally this one's $30 at Target. So it's like sets on your desk and you can do that. So if I ever want to use my phone, you can, there's a Vidyard app on your phone. So you can record from your phone. You can obviously send LinkedIn messages on your phone. I prefer LinkedIn mobile version versus like desktop. So I'm usually on there and that's where I send the videos through. So yeah, an iPhone and a Microsoft service. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's, it's pretty uh, low barriers to entry to get this stuff done. So yeah. I, I think, that, I think that a lot of people can't really make any excuses. They got to go out there and try it maybe do yeah. that test run that you did maybe post every day or maybe I don't know a couple times a week for a month every day yeah. seems like it might be kind of hard for <laughs> some noobs maybe it's it's probably it probably was a difficult challenge I'm sure yeah there's you can probably dip your toes in a little bit easier um but it's you can search it on LinkedIn it's hashtag LinkedIn hard mode and it has its own page now because he's oh, had wow. hundreds of people have done it so it'll take you there and it, and it gets really cool because you get like rules for how to interact you know the the ever um, vague algorithms that exist on LinkedIn and kind of how to work around those and use them to your advantage and stuff. So if anybody looks it up, they could get started with that. But that's what kind of helped me get into it. Very cool. Well, um, that was a very fascinating conversation, Samantha. How do people reach out if they want to learn more? Connect with me on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, <laughs> seriously, I love LinkedIn. If you connect with me, if you send me a message, I'm going to respond and we can talk. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for the time. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for sticking around to the end. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Samantha Jones. I really enjoyed it. I love meeting people on LinkedIn and learning about how they're using LinkedIn to take advantage of finding new jobs. Actually, when I first interviewed Sam, she was working over at ArcBest and then uh, she started working at Rocket Shipping. So gotta say, I think that if you are on LinkedIn, you're the one that's gonna basically get poached. So definitely use it to your advantage before it gets played out. Thanks for sticking around.